Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Matt Mulder. I am one of the AV coordinators here. Um, I do have a seminary degree. That's why I'm up here. They don't just let the techs randomly preach. Uh, we have been going through uh, the past couple of months here at Bethel, the book of Acts. We've been looking at how the foundations were laid for the early church uh, with the Holy Spirit working in and through the apostles and the early church. So last week, Pastor Mike wrapped up uh, Acts chapter 3. Uh, if you need to catch up with that at all, you can find that on our website or on our YouTube page. So in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, two of the apostles, had healed a man at the temple gate as they were going up to the temple to worship. And Peter used that opportunity to preach the message of the gospel to everyone gathered there. And today we're going to be starting in Acts chapter 4. We're going to see some aftermath uh, of this healing and Peter's preaching. And we're going to see how Peter and John continue to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to proclaim the gospel of boldness. So, we are looking at Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 22. If you're using the Pew Bibles, that's on page 1083. If you have uh, an Acts journal, that is on page 22. Or, of course, you can just look it up in your own Bible or on your phone if you so choose. So, hear these words from the book of Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 1. And as they, Peter and John, were speaking to the people, the priests and the, and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody for the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become this cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. When they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. 
My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Peter and John have had kind of an eventful day. They've been in the temple courts for a few hours now. And after they healed this crippled man, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit in chapter 3, began to proclaim the gospel to the gathered crowd, who were amazed at this miracle that had taken place. You can imagine that the more that word spread throughout the temple courts, whispers here and there, the larger the crowd grew around the portico where Peter and John were teaching, because people wanted to hear from the people who performed this miraculous sign. Such a crowd can obviously not go unnoticed, and we see here that the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. The temple police, the temple security came along with the priests and the high priestly family, and they were not very happy about this, especially the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees are a sect of uh, first century Judaism that did not believe in any form of resurrection of the dead. So they were extra annoyed that Peter and John were teaching the people and proclaiming the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them, put them in custody because it was already evening and nobody has time to hold a court hearing at dinner time. Anyway, Peter and John are arrested. They're put into custody, presumably to silence their message. But Luke, the writer of Acts, tells us that it's already too late. Many of those who had heard the word from them believed. And the number of men came to about 5,000. The church is growing more and more throughout the book of Acts. On the next day, rulers and the elders and the scribes gathered together. With them were Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, all who were of the high priestly family. Now, this is a gathering of the Jewish religious council called the Sanhedrin. And if that name sounds familiar, it's because this is the exact same group of people who not but a month and a half ago or so from these events sentenced Jesus to death. The exact same people. This is why Luke is picking out specific names. These are the exact same people who sent Peter and John's rabbi, friend, Lord, and Savior away to be put to death. And now Peter and John are being hauled out in front of the exact same people for proclaiming the message of the gospel and Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Now, if Peter's preaching that we've heard about in Acts 2 was all about the culmination of salvation, and Peter's uh, preaching in Acts 3 was all about experiencing the presence of God now that one has come to God, this here in Acts 4 is all about seeing how Peter preaches under pressure. And what I want us to see together, hopefully, is that Peter and John are modeling a posture A posture of willingness to listen to the Holy Spirit for wisdom and to embody what a significant service for Jesus looks like now that the Holy Spirit has been poured out on the apostles and on the church. So I want us to take a look at four aspects of significant service laid out in this passage. An anointing with the fullness of the Holy Spirit, boldness and loyalty, using every opportunity to share the gospel and modeling ministry after Christ. So, right off the bat, the Sanhedrin, as we have heard, are annoyed because Peter and John are proclaiming the resurrection from the dead. But they are also perturbed by Peter and John themselves, just by who they are. We read in verse 13 that when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and recognized that they had been with Jesus. 
This is why earlier in the chapter, when the Sanhedrin had set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name do you do this? If you've got your journals or your own Bible, let's just circle the word you there. Because in the Greek, there's a pretty strong suggestion of scorn or indignation. What are fishermen like you guys from Galilee doing, preaching, pretending like you know about the resurrection of the dead? How are you able to make all these connections to the scriptures to uh, convince people of your message? You guys didn't go to formal schools. But of course, as Luke says, they can see that Peter and John had been with Jesus, who also caused a bit of a ruckus over his lack of formal training. But Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Circle filled. Our first point of significant service is an anointing with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I want to take a little bit to talk about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. There are two different words in Greek, don't worry, this is not going to be a full grammar lesson, that are used to describe someone being filled with the Holy Spirit. There is one, uh, pleiro, that carries the effect of being constantly full of something, like my mug was full of coffee, um, being filled up. This is the filling of the Holy Spirit that happens to us when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the filling of the Holy Spirit that our baptisms represent, this consistent filling with the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit indwells within the hearts of every believer. That's not the word that's being used here. The word that's being used here is playtho. And instead, it instead of being constantly full, it carries a special nuance of an anointing a setting apart in a particular way for a particular purpose in a particular time, a little bit of extra Holy Spirit going on there. And Peter and John and all of the believers were filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost in the same sense that you and I are full of the Holy Spirit right now. But Peter here, as well as in Acts 2, as well as in Acts 3, and as we will continue to see throughout the book of Acts, Peter and the other apostles, it will say, are filled with the Holy Spirit. And that is the sense of an anointing for a particular time and a particular purpose. So Peter is being specifically anointed here once again by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of preaching the gospel to the Sanhedrin of all people. And boy, does he preach the gospel. Luke says that Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, circle the word name there, whom you crucified, you guys specifically in this room, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, literally you guys right here, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name, again, under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This brings us to the next point of significant kingdom service, and that is boldness and loyalty. Peter and John were anointed with the Holy Spirit, and having been anointed with the Holy Spirit, they are bold, they are courageous, they are loyal to the gospel, even when it's pretty obvious that their lives could very well be on the line. 
They are standing in front of the literal people who sentenced Jesus to death and had him brutally executed not that long ago. And I imagine that they're kind of scared. If this group of people killed their teacher, what would they do to them? But because of the fact that they are filled with the Holy Spirit, they are empowered to preach this message and they need not fear and they can be bold. I have to wonder if Peter and John had the words of Jesus ringing in their ears as much as they had the Holy Spirit in them giving the words to speak. If we take a look back into Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 21, verses 10 to 19, if you care to look that up, it's on page 1046. We read that Jesus has prepared his apostles for this exact moment. Jesus says in Luke chapter 21, starting at verse 10, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, and in various places famines and pestilences. There will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they, the enemies of the gospel, will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This this will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand on how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and a wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair on your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your lives." Jesus had told them some time ago that they would be given the words to speak when the opportunity arose. When they are inevitably hauled in front of authorities for proclaiming the gospel. And here we see it in Acts 4 happening exactly as Jesus had said. They have been given the words to speak. They have been anointed by the Holy Spirit. And because of that anointing, they can be bold and courageous in the face of opposition. Now, to our next point, Peter and John have put themselves into a posture where they use every opportunity to share the message of the gospel. As Jesus told his disciples in Luke, the time will be ripe for the apostles to bear witness when they are hauled before kings and governors and authorities. And we've already seen in the preceding chapters of Acts how Peter and the other apostles are bold in proclaiming the gospel to thousands of people seizing every opportunity that is placed in front of them. And we will continue to see throughout the book of Acts as we continue in this series how all of the apostles seize moments of opportunity when they are nudged by the Holy Spirit to proclaim the gospel message to those that are put into their lives. And we can also see that the apostles both intentionally and unintentionally by the working of the Holy Spirit have been modeling their ministry after that of Christ's. And we thought about this before in relation to how the ministry of the early church started with healing and proclaiming of the gospel. Uh, but now we're seeing the ministry of Christ reflected maybe a little bit more explicitly in the apostles' lives and how they're being treated for proclaiming this gospel message. Just as Jesus was hauled in front of this council of the Sanhedrin, now Peter and John also find themselves here. And this is just the beginning of religious and civil resistance to the gospel message that is being proclaimed. 
Just as Jesus boldly stood his ground in front of these men, this council, now Peter and John, empowered by the same Holy Spirit that was empowering Jesus, are doing the exact same. Now, Peter is also making reference to a psalm here. Psalm 118 is where we get the line uh, that we used on the call to worship. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now, Luke also tells us, as well as the other gospel writers, that when Jesus was teaching in parables, uh, specifically the the parable of the vineyard and the tenants, uh, Jesus himself quoted this psalm as well to describe himself as the Messiah, as one being rejected, but that God would glorify. Peter here is doing the same thing, again, right up in the face of the Sanhedrin. He says this Jesus that was, is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is no other name in heaven among men by which we must be saved. This name, the name of Jesus, if you recall from a couple weeks ago, Mike really emphasized that it is in the name of Jesus that this man was healed. It is in the name of Jesus and his resurrection from the dead that the apostles are preaching. This name alone in which salvation can be found, this name is the bread of life, the living water, and the only name which brings salvation. So going back just a second to Luke 21 that we looked at a couple minutes ago, Jesus tells his disciples that when they are given a mouth and a wisdom, when they are given words to speak, none of their adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict the gospel message. And again, we see this playing out in Acts 4, just as Jesus said. We read again in Acts 4 that when the Sanhedrin saw the man who was healed, a man who was more than 40, not super young, not super old for our time, but in that time, if you were over 40 and you had some debilitating illness, forget about it. Like, you're just stuck with that for life. When they saw this man who was healed standing beside Peter and John, they had nothing to say in opposition because they even admit themselves that a notable sign has been performed through Peter and John on this man is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. They can't contradict the words of the apostles who have boldly proclaimed the gospel as they are anointed with the Holy Spirit who are modeling themselves after Christ. They can't even get Peter and John to take their threats seriously. They threaten them and tell them to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John say, and I just love this, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They cannot help themselves but to proclaim the gospel message all the more. And I think this experience, this whole Acts 3 and 4 healing and preaching and being hauled in front of the Sanhedrin was very formative for Peter's ministry. We do not have time to get into this today, so I will just leave it with this. If you are the suggested homework type of person, read the book of 1 Peter this week. It's only five chapters. It's a fairly quick read. It's a a letter that Peter writes to Christians scattered around the Roman Empire, but Peter pulls through this image of Christ as the cornerstone of the church, instructions to the Christians on how to deal with persecutions, pulls through this 
line from Psalm 118 from Luke and how to witness. And all of it sounds very much like what he's saying here and what Jesus told the apostles in Luke chapter 21. That is a sermon unto itself, perhaps for a different time, but not today. So I will just say again, I highly suggest you read 1 Peter this week. So the apostles cannot help themselves but to proclaim the gospel at every opportunity you get. You might be seeing where I'm going with the application for our lives. The apostles are modeling all of these aspects of significant kingdom service. Then we should go and do likewise. Have a nice day. But as we have discussed throughout this series, we here today in Ohio are not living in the same circumstances that the apostles were living in. We are blessed to be in a country where we have complete freedom to worship God and proclaim the gospel message without fear of severe consequences. The American church, not really persecuted. We are not in danger of going to jail or being killed for the gospel message here. And where there is resistance to the gospel, the consequences are not as severe as what the apostles were dealing with. And honestly, that can make us complacent. Many of us, I think, often need a little jumpstart in sharing the gospel with others in general, let alone following boldly in the footsteps of Peter and John here in Acts 4. Now, I'm going to try to do my best here to not step on Mike's toes for next week because a lot of what follows this passage is about praying uh, for boldness uh, to God and empowering of the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel. So, Apologies to Mike if I uh, get ahead of myself a little bit. But let's look again at this model of significant service as it relates to you and I. How do we take ourselves from just getting by, going through the motions, and, you know, just hanging out in our nice little Christian bubbles, from how do we get from that to stepping out in faith like Peter and John are modeling for us here in Acts for for the kingdom of God? How do we adopt the same posture that these apostles had? So first again is an anointing with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. As we've discussed, everyone who has called upon the name of the Lord for salvation and believes in him is filled with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But we sometimes need to be more open and receptive to ask God to anoint us with the Holy Spirit in the same sense that Peter and John and the apostles in Acts are being anointed with the Holy Spirit for specific acts, specific words, specific times. You know, have you ever found yourself sharing the gospel with somebody and you get done and you don't really know where the words came from that you spoke? Or have you felt yourself compelled to share the gospel with someone even though it may not be like conversationally relevant? Or have you ever felt that you need to share a word of encouragement with someone out of the blue? That's the Holy Spirit giving you a little elbow in the side. Hey, go do that. That's the Holy Spirit inviting you to be filled with this anointing in this Plato sense. Individually and corporately, we would do very well to put ourselves in a posture of reception and listening and discernment as to where the Holy Spirit is guiding us in our lives to preach the gospel to people. 
and to get our wills more in line with what God wants us to do as his church. Now, Peter and John spoke the gospel to the Sanhedrin with boldness and were loyal to the message of Christ and the gospel, even when they knew that they could suffer for it. And again, we do not often find ourselves in the same circumstances here where we will suffer in the same way for the gospel message. But we would be wise not to get complacent in our gospel message, not to water down our message of the gospel to a point where we would not suffer if things were different. You know, if we were in the same circumstances as Peter and John find themselves in, if we happen to find ourselves in the same circumstances as brothers and sisters in Christ around the world find themselves in, our gospel message, the core of it, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and salvation through him should not be watered down to the point where we would not get in trouble. This includes being confident in the gospel message that Peter proclaims. There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We believe that the only way to true salvation is a belief in God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit by the death and the resurrection of the rejected stone, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. We should be proclaiming this confidently and not watering down that core message of salvation for the sake of fitting in to the pluralist society that we find ourselves in. Proclaiming it with boldness and certainty. Now, that doesn't mean we have to necessarily get to the point of just yelling at random people on a street corner, but that we should be confident in what we believe to not back down, that we should hold firmly and steadfastly to proclaim that Jesus died and rose again and that there is really no other way to find salvation. Now, I think the bit that trips me up the most often in all of this is using every opportunity to share the gospel. I know there have been a multitude of times where I have been given an opportunity by the Holy Spirit to share the gospel, like, oh, hey, you're talking to this person? Well, why don't you invite them to church? Why don't you tell them about Jesus? And I haven't done it. I'm sure you probably feel the same sometimes too. But Peter and John were so eager to share their gospel and their ministry that even when they were brought before the Sanhedrin for questioning, you know, when they should, you know, be a little bit kind of laid back and on the defense, they don't. They turn the tables on them and they go on the offense and they start proclaiming the gospel rather than merely just answering questions. Even though I would have to imagine they probably knew it wasn't going to do much good. But empowered by the Holy Spirit, they preach the gospel to these people anyway. And who knows? Luke doesn't tell us what the Sanhedrin necessarily did afterwards, but perhaps something stuck with them. What does our ministry look like if we have this same eagerness to share the gospel at every opportune moment? What does our evangelism, both us on an individual person-to-person -person level and our evangelism as a church ministering to the neighborhood around us, what does that look like if we listen more? and respond more to the opportunities that God is putting in front of us to share the gospel. 
to, to tell others what we have seen and heard, what by faith we believe and what by experience we know to be true about Jesus. Now, just as Peter and John are doing today in our passage, we, of course, need to model our ministry after theirs, which is modeled after Jesus' ministry. We need to earnestly seek out Christ-like behavior in every aspect of our lives and pray that Christ may be seen through us as we seek to partner with God's will through the Holy Spirit's working in our lives to further not our own agenda, not even necessarily the ministries of this church, but most importantly to further the ministry of God's kingdom here on earth and to bring glory to him alone. There is so much potential for us, you and I, our families, our small groups, our ministries, our church, the church large scale, if we listen more to where God is calling us to preach the gospel. And if we respond accordingly and do it with boldness, just as Peter and John did it. Because the exact same Holy Spirit that empowered Peter and John to preach boldly, to be certain in their faith, and to do amazing things in the name of Jesus for the kingdom of God is the same Holy Spirit that indwells within us that fills this place as we are gathered here together to worship God. That same Holy Spirit can empower each and every single one of us through our conversations, through our small groups, through our ministries to preach the gospel with boldness and loyalty to whomever God is putting in our lives. That same Holy Spirit can empower us for significant service for God's kingdom so that we're actually not just showing up on Sunday and going home and calling it good. That is our calling and our challenge, I think, from this passage to us, is to seek God's leading in everything we do so that we may, with boldness, use every single opportunity that God is handing to us to proclaim the gospel message modeling ourselves after Jesus and the example of Peter and John. Friends, may we do so. Amen. Let us pray. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for the ministry of the apostles and how they modeled it after you, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that in everything that we do as individuals and as a church here at Bethel, that we would seek to seek your will, to seek what you would have us to do. Lord, we pray that we would do this boldly and with loyalty to you alone, O oh Lord. For God, we know that there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. For Jesus, you have died and you were raised to life. And this we believe and this we know. May we go forth and, pro and proclaim this gospel message with a boldness and a certainty that can change the world. We pray all of this in the powerful and precious name of our Lord and Savior, the only name by which we must be saved, Jesus Christ. Amen.